Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. I pray that you are reading the Word of God as well with us and that you are being blessed by the Lord on a daily basis. Welcome to you and to this episode. We are continuing in the book of Romans, and we should conclude Romans chapter 12 today. This is the second part, actually, of yesterday's and the last episode that we did. And so we want to conclude Romans chapter 12 and conclude this look into these daily directives that Paul speaks to us about in a variety of areas. We covered several of them yesterday, and we're going to pick right up with that in today's episode. So as we've seen, this is Paul's great treatise on the gospel, and we've gone through all of the first 11 chapters. We've looked at those in quite some detail in the past, and now we're in chapter 12. We've seen in chapter 12 where Paul is talking about now that we are all both believing Jew and believing Gentile, one body. He begins his final section of this book, chapters 12 through 16, to teach us what that means in terms of our own personal relationship with the Lord, in terms of various spheres of life and arenas of life that we are functioning in, as well as in terms of the corporate gatherings and the corporate service of the Lord together as a body when we gather together in fellowships and and small groups, etc. So we are looking at these various things. And as we talked about yesterday in verses 9 through 21 of chapter 12, Paul goes into some varying daily directives is what I'm titling them. And so we want to look at part two of that. To do that, I do want to read this entire section as we begin, and then we will pick up from where we left off in the last episode. So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. 
for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We talked about several of these verses in the last episode, and I want to pick up today where we left off again, which is with the verse 14, beginning in verse 14 there. We covered verses 9 through 13 before, so let's talk about beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So Paul is giving us this this directive that when we are persecuted, and there are varying forms of persecution, all the way from what we would consider perhaps soft persecution, meaning ridicule or somebody doesn't like what you say or whatever, all the way up to severe elements of persecution, including death and martyrdom. There are varying degrees, but Jesus is teaching us, and Paul is highlighting it here, that we are to bless and not curse our persecutors. We're not to doom them as if they are destined to hell. Even some persecutors have been saved because of the Christians that have been persecuted and their testimony and their witness. You don't even have to look very far in the New Testament to see that because it's right there in the book of Acts in several places. We are not to wish evil even on our persecutors, but we are to leave them in God's hands. When you look at Acts, you will see Paul and how perhaps even the Philippian jailer is a beautiful example of how through Paul's suffering and Paul's persecutions, it resulted in the salvation of the jailer and his household. And Paul speaks about his persecutions and his sufferings later on, and so does Peter. And both Paul and Peter, who were martyrs for their faith, speak to us about being strong in our faith and about holding on and even our sufferings turning out for the glory of God because of the salvation of souls. I want to read to you Acts chapter 3, verse 26, because Paul instructs us here to bless those that persecute us, not curse them. And he takes that directly from Jesus' very own words in places like Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, etc., And in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, it tells us how we can bless people that are not doing right. How do you bless them? You might wonder, well, how do you bless your persecutors when they are doing evil and you know they're doing evil? So you're not praying that God will will bless them and prosper them in their evil deeds. That's not what he means. I think this verse gives us an indication of how we can bless people who are not doing what is right. I want to read Acts chapter 3, verse 26. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So do you see the key to blessing your persecutors or to blessing those who are not doing right, is to turn them from their wrong, to turn them from their sin, 
to turn them from their iniquities to the Lord, to bless them and turn them away from those evil things. And so that's how we can bless our persecutors and not curse them, as Paul and Jesus both have instructed us to do, as well as people like Peter in the New Testament. Paul tells us back in Romans chapter 12 also to share in the joy of other people. When one rejoices, we should all rejoice in that blessing in that promotion at work, in that new job, in that new family, in that marriage, in that financial blessing, in whatever it is. We are to rejoice with one another without having competition and without having any envy. Well, I want that too. Why didn't that happen to me? I mean, those kinds of thoughts are evil thoughts. We should never think those things. We should be rejoicing when a brother or sister in the Lord is blessed by God, has a prayer need answered, a a need met, whatever it may be, we need to be rejoicing with them. The same is true in people's sorrows. We should be sharing in others' sorrows with sincere love, mercy, and compassion for them. Even thinking or feeling and, and thinking about it as if it were you going through that. What would you want? How would you want someone to treat you? What would you feel you need? And giving that comfort and that solace and that care to that other person. Weeping with those who weep in sincere love and compassion. He talks here also about having the same mind to each other. In other words, being able to accept and recognize that none of us are better than the other. We're all in the same boat. We're all serving the same king. We're all in the same boat. We're all going through life together and growing in Jesus Christ as his disciple. So we don't think more highly of ourselves than other people. We don't think about anybody else being better. He says here not to be high-minded or to mind high things, but to associate with the humble. In other words, not to think better or even to desire or pursue rich folks, name recognition, prestige, flattery, none of that. We are not to think or even desire or pursue any of those things. But rather, we're to go to the humble. We're to care for those who can't help us, those who can't give us any fame or fortune, those who aren't able to do that. And we shouldn't even be pursuing that to begin with. We should be going to those, even to the outcasts. That's exactly what Jesus did throughout his ministry. And one of the greatest examples of that is found in John chapter 4, when Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. I must needs go, I think the King James says. I have to go through Samaria. Why? Because there's people there that need to hear the good news. And nobody else is going to them because the Jews avoided them. They were considered half-breeds, so to speak. The Jews hated them. 
and would have nothing to do with them. They were outcasts as far as the Jews, as far as the Jews were concerned. And yet Jesus said, there's people there that I want to reach. There's people there that need to be saved. There's people there that I love and I'm going to the outcast. I'm going to the humble. I'm going to those who nobody else wants to associate with. I do. Read that story in John chapter 4. Read about how he went. He went out of his way. He went out of the common way. He went out of the normal way. He went where nobody else was willing to go. He went to the outcast. Hallelujah. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I won't read it for the sake of time, but I commend it to you for you to look it up. He speaks in there warnings, James does, against trying to associate with the rich and, and, and flattering and so forth. You don't, don't think, you know, well, I want to associate with them because they come in with all this gold and fine apparel and I really like them. But this dirt poor person in holy blue jeans, and I mean H, you know, ones with holes in them and, you know, sandals that are dirty and their feet are dirty and their hair is disheveled. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with them. No, no. James warns against that. And he says, oh, no, you don't be like that. You do not have that kind of partiality. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12 as well. Associating with the humble like Jesus did when he went to the Samaritan. He says, Paul says here, not to be wise in your own opinion. It requires that we maintain an attitude and a demeanor of humility. We must be clothed with humility, Paul will tell us in another place. He says here, don't repay evil for evil. Jesus didn't. That's why Paul can say that. We've got the greatest example. Jesus said, do you not know that I could call down legions of angels to deliver me if I wanted to? They're at my beck and call. And I have a feeling the angels were sitting on go. I mean, I have a feeling they were almost perhaps even begging the father to let him go get him off the cross, to let him go destroy those who were persecuting him. Now, that's my personal opinion. But Jesus said he could commission them and they would have delivered him if he had given the word. But he didn't repay evil for evil. He was crucified by these that put him on the cross, Jew and Gentile. There were both Jew and Gentiles at the cross. They were both involved in his crucifixion. So one is no better than the other. Both killed him. All of us killed him. Because of our sin, he died. Jesus was crucified at the hands of these people. But yet he begged the Father and cried from the cross, Father, forgive them. And then when we come to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, we have another example of that. And Stephen does the exact same thing Jesus did. Why? Because he modeled his life after Jesus. He patterned his life after Jesus. And when he was being stoned, he cried out in his fleeting breaths, and he said, don't lay this sin at their charge. Forgive them. Just like Jesus had done. 
So we're not to repay evil for evil. We're told to regard good things before all men. In other words, I think that's talking about standing up for right things before all that we can. Whoever we have a voice in front of, we are to use that voice for righteousness, for the things that are true and pure and lovely and right according to the word of the Lord, because that's the standard for right and good things. Then he says, to be at peace with others as much as is possible with you. There are times when you want to make things right with someone, you want to have a peaceful relationship, etc., and it is not up to you. And you do everything you can do to be at peace with them. And they may refuse that anyway. It might be a, a, your own family member. It might be a friend or a coworker, whatever it is. But your responsibility is not how they react. Your responsibility is not to make them get at peace with you. Your responsibility is to pursue peace and do everything you can do to make peace and to live peaceably with them. Sometimes that is to agree to disagree. Sometimes that is the way that we do that. Sometimes it is not possible, but the scriptures here are telling us to do everything we can. That's what Paul is saying. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, you are only responsible for you, not for the other person. So live peaceably and pursue peace with all that you can. Paul talks here about having no vengeance of your own, not avenging yourselves, but rather giving place to wrath. What that's talking about is allowing God's righteous wrath to have a spot to be able to operate. In other words, you don't get in the way. You don't try to take it upon yourself and take matters into your own hands, whatever it may be. But you give the opportunity and let God be God. God does the avenging, not us. We do not know the whole situation. We do not know the hearts of all people. We do not know who's involved and what the motives were. We know none of that. Therefore, we cannot judge it and we cannot avenge ourselves. We cannot take matters into our own hands, but we must entrust them to the God who sees all and knows all and will judge righteously. He is the one who handles the matter just as he promised he would do. And I want to draw to a close now as we begin to look at a couple of places here in the Old Testament that I want to begin to close with. Paul actually quotes part of this in his passage there in Romans chapter 12, but I want to read some of the verses surrounding this passage as well in Deuteronomy, so that you understand some of the context. The passage that Paul quotes, where he says, he's quoting that God has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And the entire chapter is important 
and worthy of study. But I want to pick up with verse 28, and I want to read verse 28 through 35. Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning in verse 28. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. So God is describing here through Moses in this passage, people that are not good, people that are evil, that are doing wrong. They are enemies of the Lord and they have made themselves enemies. And so continuing on in verse 34 and 35, what does God say about all of this? What does God say about these people that are storing up for themselves grapes of gall, bitter clusters and poison? He says this in verse 34 and 35. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? What's stored up? What is stored up with the Lord? What is sealed up in his treasures? Verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. So Paul is quoting here from Moses' writings there in Deuteronomy. And the point is, in the context in Deuteronomy and in the context here in Romans chapter 12, when we are done wrong, when people that are evil have done evil things to us, we do not take vengeance ourselves, but we give opportunity. We give place to that for God, the righteous judge, and he alone to do the judging because his vengeance will come to pass. He will see it through. He will deal rightly with that. If they can be saved, he will save them. If not, he will bring his judgment upon them in due season. That's what he was talking about there. I wish they would have seen their latter end because these things will not continue unpunished forever. There is a reckoning day coming. God has stored up his vengeance even among his treasures and in its due season, he will bring righteous judgment to solve and resolve every wrong that has been done. So our part is to trust the Lord. And Paul even takes it further here in Romans chapter 12. And he says in verse 20, therefore, in other words, on the basis of the fact that God is the righteous judge, God sees all and he will bring righteous vengeance to bear in his way, in his time and in his will. And we can trust vengeance to him because it belongs to him and him alone. Paul says, therefore, this is what we're to do. If our enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Because every time you do that, God takes note of that. You are heaping coals of fire on his head. It's not that we do it for that reason. We do it unto the Lord. But the Lord recognizes and takes note of the fact that you are not repaying evil for evil. You are trusting him with the righteous judgment that he is to bring. And you are giving him that opportunity. You are letting go and letting God deal with the situation. And God will, in fact, do just that in his way. As a matter of fact, Solomon writes about this. And Paul is quoting Solomon here in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. Solomon writes this, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And the Lord will reward you. So, beloved friend, let us take our responsibility seriously and entrust everything else to the Lord because he will see it through. And I love how Paul ends this section. This is a very fitting ending to these directives. He says in verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's interesting because I did a little bit of digging in this verse. Sometimes we read the little words and we don't always think about any power that might be in them. But I want you to understand this. What he's saying here is don't be overcome or subdued by, through, or underneath the power of evil. In other words, don't let evil become the master or rule over you as if you were under its mastery. But on the contrary, you overcome evil in the fixed position of good because that's where you stand. Don't be moved or subjugated from the good place that you are standing in. You do not have to be mastered by evil, but rather you are able then to subdue evil because you stand in a good place in the Lord. I love that. It, it adds some power and punch to that verse. Do you see, do not be overcome by evil as if it were your master and had rule over you. But rather, on the contrary, you are standing in a good place in the Lord. And you then have the ability to subdue evil with good in that good place. Praise God. May God grant us the ability to apply all of these daily directives, all of these varying details that Paul gives us, instructions, for daily practical living in the faith. May God help us to apply these by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. From Romans chapter 8, he's already shown us that. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it alone. But the law of lift, so to speak, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us when we cooperate with him and when we yield to him. And I thought about this as I close. You know, when you want to peel an onion, you're going to do it one layer at a time. And God is like that. He works on us one layer at a time, one thing at a time. And Paul has covered a variety of things here. And it may seem overwhelming, but whatever ones speak to your heart, take those to the Lord in prayer. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit of the living God and let him do the work to bring you victory in these areas. You simply cooperate with the Holy Spirit and yield to the Holy Spirit, taking our responsibilities seriously, and we trust Him to do the work and to bring us in day by day, moment by moment, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. I pray that these have been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.